Good morning, Renewal. Welcome to our fourth Sunday of Advent. That means that Christmas is happening this week. Christmas, of course, is a holiday when we celebrate Jesus Christ's birth and all that his birth means for us. Christmas is arguably the biggest holiday of our calendar year. It's the day when we are looking toward and celebrating Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the one whose name was Emmanuel, which means God is with us, and the one of whom it was foretold would save his people from their sins. You know, in the Christian calendar year, there are two aspects of Jesus' life that we really tend to celebrate. At Christmas time, we celebrate his birth, and of course, at Easter time, we celebrate his resurrection. Probably it's more accurate to say we celebrate his death and then his resurrection. It's kind of rolled into one as a package deal. And I was thinking about uh, this week, the fact that those two holidays offer perspective on who Jesus was from really only four days of his life. Uh, the birth happened in a day, and his death and resurrection was over the course of three days. And so, these highlights of our Christian year that shape in many ways our understanding of who Jesus is are focused on, on just four days of his life. Uh, the man who lived into his early 30s probably lived around eleven to 12,000 days on earth. And so the four, they're very important days, but they only represent 0.033% of the days that he actually lived. And so uh, we spend a lot of time reflecting on Jesus's birth and what that means for us. And we spend time reflecting on Jesus's death and resurrection, what that means for us. But this Christmas, uh, for this sermon today, I want to focus a little bit more on Jesus's life, the other 12,000 days. Uh, one of the things that it's popular to talk about at funerals or at celebrations of life is how significant the days are between someone's birthday and the day on which they die, and how after they're gone, we'll spend time trying to bring comfort to the morning and trying to inspire ourselves to live better by focusing on the days that happen between those two days, notable days in someone's life. And yet, for some reason, when it comes to Jesus's life, we can oftentimes be in danger of de-emphasizing that part of his life. And so this fourth Sunday of Advent, the theme uh, is love for this week, and I can think of no better way to look at the concept of love than to look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ's life, especially looking at those days between his birth and his death. And so what do we know about Jesus's life? We know he was born in a humble stable. We know that he grew up the son of a carpenter. Uh, presumably, from that information, we know that he lived and worked as a carpenter from a, a young age when young men would, would begin training for a career, apprenticing with their father, and, and up until the time he was around 30, and really spent a good deal of his life uh, living and working as a carpenter. Uh, and supposedly, not necessarily from scripture, but from uh, extra-biblical material, we, we believe he was a really good carpenter. <laughs> and... Um, and we don't often think a lot about that part of Jesus's life at all, that he spent so many years uh, working in a trade and serving the people around him through his diligent hard work. Uh, we don't think about that at all. Uh, we maybe think a little bit more about Jesus's ministry, and so we know that with the time he was about 30, he began to minister publicly as a traveling teacher, and, and he had this remarkable healing ministry as well. And one of the themes that, that carries through Jesus's ministry years is, again, serving others, loving others, 
meeting people where they're at, uh, preaching a message of extraordinary acceptance and forgiveness for those who are fallen, and even in the moments when he's rebuking and uh, you know telling certain people off, like the religious leaders or things like that, uh, he is doing these things out of love and care for people, and really all about bringing people back to God. Ultimately, Jesus died a sinner's death. He was accused of crimes he didn't commit, and he was unwilling to to summon or to exercise the powers and rights he had at his disposal as the Son of God to avoid the unjust penalty that he was asked to pay. And so we might look at the course of Jesus' life uh, from birth, through his carpenter years, through his ministry, even to his death, and, and one theme really stands out as the primary motivating force in his life, and that is love for humanity. We see love in his work on the cross. Uh, we see love, and I think sometimes we forget it, but we, we see love not just in the cross, but love in every healing touch that he had, and, and love that motivated those words of rebuke, love that may even motivated him to, to build wooden things, to do the carpenter's trade for his neighbors. When we talk about love in this sense, or when we bring up love in the biblical sense, we're really talking about a selfless act, uh, love being this conscious choice that someone might make to to, in their own minds, ascribe more importance to the well-being of another person rather than your own well-being. One word that's used to describe this kind of love or a selfless, self-giving love is the Greek word agape. Uh, Christians, cultural Christians, are probably familiar with this word. And, uh, and we experience this kind of love when other people are sacrificing on our behalf. In fact, it could be argued that we would not really know that God truly loved us. We couldn't really know that God truly loved us until that moment when Christ came and laid down his life for us, until that moment when God came in the flesh and sacrificed uh, his own divine life. And, and in that moment, we have this demonstration, really in a concrete way, that God is putting the well-being of his beloved creation before his own well-being. In that moment, we have a concrete example and a proclamation that God truly loves his creation with an everlasting, selfless, self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love. Anyhow, our text for today is from John chapter 15. And John 15 is this classic passage of scripture. And, and although it's so beloved, you know, as I've read through it this week or even listened to people reading at different times, it, it's kind of written quite awkwardly. Uh, I mean, there's some poetic language and maybe part of the reason it's so awkward is the flow of that Greek poetry just doesn't <laughs> doesn't translate the way it does. But it, to me, sometimes it seems really choppy and just kind of all over the place. Uh, and so we'll we'll just read some short portions of it today. But uh, we'll be picking it up in John chapter fifteen, verse nine. Jesus says, "As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love." If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We see in this passage, Jesus wants our joy to be complete. He wants it to be full. His will is that we would be remaining in his love in such a way, obeying his commands in such a way that our joy would be full. And the question could be asked, well, how, how do we remain in his love? And he leads into, you obey, obey my commands, and you'll remain in my love. So, okay, that's great. 
um, we'll obey his commands. And of course, saying this, rem- remembering that he's saying this to uh, his Jewish disciples, as it's recorded here in John 15, a question could be raised, well, which commands are we supposed to, to obey? Uh, of course, the Jewish approach to that, answering that question was to look at the 600 and some odd commands of the Old Testament and to try to meticulously obey each and every one. And yet in verse 12, Jesus gives us some direction as to how to uh, go about obeying the commands. He says in verse 12, my command is this, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. And these words really struck me as as I studied them this week. You know, in that moment, I I wonder what Jesus' disciples were expecting to hear. Uh, When he, in the conversation, started the statement, my command is this, I imagine the disciples on the edge of their seats, ears perked up, oh, I should pay attention here. Jesus is about to tell us what is required of us, what it is that God might want from us, how it is that we could remain in his love, Uh, what is it he wants, and he says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. I don't imagine that's what they were expecting to hear. I don't imagine that if we were trying to, you know, rewrite the story right now and even a, a modern knowledgeable Christian was to insert a line in here as to what is it that God wants, what is his command, I, I, I think that uh, we would even lean towards writing other things. You know, you think of the lines that people might cross nowadays that would put them on the other side of, or on the outside of Christianity, and those are things that we might be tempted to put in here. God's command is this, uh, and maybe a reference to some of the Ten Commandments, you know. I I remember uh, an older man in a church I attended used to have a Christian t-shirt that said uh, on it in white letters, black t-shirt on the front it said in white letters, what part of thou shalt not, don't you understand? And (laughs) I think of that statement as like, well, the the thou and the shalt, really. I mean, I, I think I know what thou means, but then I, it seems like people misuse it all the time. And, but anyhow, we might think of the Ten Commandments. Uh, we might be tempted to lean into some kind of moral ethics or social ethics. Uh, I remember one time having a conversation with uh, a Christian brother about uh, Christians consuming alcohol, and he referenced the line in Peter where God said, be holy as I am holy, and, and then stated that was the end of the discussion. <laughs> I... I'd, I don't know what he meant by that, but you get the idea. Um, We might be tempted to say, and and this one would probably be most tempting for us, what does God command? We would reference the first commandment, right? Even Jesus said this was the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We might be tempted to emphasize all kinds of things, but in this moment, in Jesus' last opportunity to teach his disciples before he goes and faces the cross, Jesus says this, this is my command, love each other as I have loved you. And I think that what Jesus is hinting at is is really trying to help humanity understand what has happened when God joined himself to humanity in Jesus Christ. I think Jesus is hinting at what has been accomplished by his mission in coming to earth. You know, many years later, the Apostle John writes in in one of his later letters, he writes, we love because he first loved us. And he says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And then he said, we have this commandment from him, from being from the Lord. We have this commandment from the Lord. Whoever loves God must love his brother as well. Those Christians who give up haggling over the Ten Commandments or who refuse to be entangled in the arguments about culturally relative moral ethics, they're often accused of watering down the requirements of the gospel. And I'll hear people lamenting this from time to time. You know, these young Christians that want to just say it's all about loving others or, or there's no emphasis on holiness and there's no emphasis on righteousness. And there's not enough fire and brimstone in all of this. And yet we have a testimony speaking to us through the language of the New Testament that in Jesus Christ, something was fulfilled and there's now a new command for us to follow. And this is the command. Love each other as I have loved you. And so on the one hand, where some Christians might worry about things being boiled down to love, being a a watering down of the gospel, I would ask you, what could possibly be a more high calling than to embrace the truth that I simply cannot love God without loving my brothers or sisters? I think it's far too easy. I think it's far too low a bar to just convince myself and try to convince other people that God's best life for me is to pretend that I never sin while I point my finger at the sinners around me saying, turn or burn. And I think too many Christians in our society have become far too comfortable with the acceptable sins that exist on their own branch of society, at the same time becoming far too unloving towards our neighbors who are on the other branches. And so, depending on what circles you might run in, we'll be happy to swallow a host of sins as long as you vote for the right political party or as long as you ascribe to the correct economic philosophy or as long as you're practicing all the morals that I think are most important. You know, Jesus at one point said to the Pharisees that they could swallow an entire camel and yet they would spend their time straining the smallest gnat out. And and at times, I feel like that statement is is a prophecy about the modern Western church that I see being fulfilled before my very eyes. I mean, you want to see prophecy being fulfilled. Spend some time on Facebook. See the kinds of things that Christians are saying to each other and the kinds of names that they're calling each other. And I believe with all my heart that God has called us to something higher than this. I believe with all my heart that we are invited by our Savior to love like he loved, to love sacrificially. You know, When Jesus was here ministering on earth, he had the skills and he had the gifts and he had the appeal to have lived a very comfortable life. I mean, you think a healing and teaching ministry won't earn you a comfortable living? I would just about guarantee you that if you can do the kinds of things Jesus did, you could live comfortably even in the most impoverished society. And yet Jesus was a a homeless, wandering teacher. He was constantly attentive to the needs that would arise, that would interrupt his agenda. And when they would come in after a long walk, he would, he would wash his disciples' feet. He was constantly serving, constantly denying himself to serve the needs of others throughout his entire life. And as we go back to John 15 to, to land this sermon, Jesus says, there's no greater love than this, than to lay one's life down for one's friends. And he said, you are my friends if you do what I command. He said, no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I've learned here from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is 
highlighting this new thing that God is doing in humanity, this relational wonder where God is inviting humanity into the process of what he's doing as friends. They're being invited inside of the work that God is doing. We're being invited to partner with him and to participate in his work of reconciliation. Jesus continues, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit, fruit that'll last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then he repeats his command again. He says, this is my command, verse 17, love each other. This week in Advent, as we focus on on the virtue of love, as you spend time celebrating Christ's birth and celebrating all of the cultural things that we celebrate at Christmas time, gift giving and gingerbread houses and lights and family and fellowship and good food, uh, I pray that we would keep in perspective the fact that Christ's birth and his life and, and those 30 some odd years lived here on earth were a lifelong message of love. And that through the life of Christ, God laid down his life and loved humanity. And what he has invited us into is the opportunity to live our lives the same. And so as you go out this holiday season and this coming week and you interact with the people around you, I pray that God's love would be moving in your heart in such a way that you would uh, love those around you. You would selflessly lay down your own agendas, your own bias. You'd lay down your own preconceptions about what the people around you should be like, and you would find opportunities to serve and to bless, uh, to be humble, and to be lifting others up and living the way that your Savior lived and the way that he's invited you to live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incredible love for us. Father, we thank you that you held nothing back from us, not even your own son. We thank you for the example of love that we have in the life of our Savior, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would lift each of us up to, uh, to a, a way of living that embraces that example, uh, where we would be tempted to make excuses, where we would be tempted to embrace uh, comfort or familiarity over the way of the kingdom. Uh, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would correct our hearts and you would move us closer into step with you and with your spirit this holiday season. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a very Merry Christmas renewal, and we'll see you next week.